Welcome to the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. It is our desire that you will be greatly encouraged as Pastor Dale Walker and others bring a fresh word from God directly to your heart. Be blessed. I just love being able to share God's word with you and my family and I are headed back to California this week, so going to miss you. Uh, it's just been such a privilege to be able to practice my preaching skills and for you to listen to me. I'm just so humbled and so thankful to just be part of a beautiful family here. Um, I want to just read this story before we jump in the sermon. An old Italian gentleman lived alone in New Jersey. He wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very difficult work as the ground was hard. His only son, Vincent, who used to help him, was in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son and described his predicament. Dear Vincent, I'm pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me, like in the old days. Love, Papa. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, the FBI agents, local police, arrived and dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. That same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. <laughs> Love, Vinny. That has nothing to do with the sermon. That's just... That was just funny. <laughs> Love you guys. We're continuing our series on freedom, and it's just been, uh, it's been a fun series. If you've missed the last two Sundays, please go back and watch them. I'm, I'm very much more of a sequential kind of person, like putting puzzles together. So if you're just here today and you missed the first two, you're missing some of the puzzle pieces. So go back and listen to them. But just to recap... A few things, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. God wants us to be so free in our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, that we can receive everything he has and we can give everything he wants to give through our life. That's what God wants to do in and through us. When you were saved, you were set free from the power of sin at that moment. Your old life, your old, those old habits and hang-ups and addictions and ways of thinking, they have no more power over you. The challenge for every believer is not that we're not free. It's learning that we're not still under the effects of the old way we were living. We're, we're getting free in our mind, in our heart. We're learning to think like Jesus. We said that we, we get saved when we believe in Jesus, but we get free when we believe like Jesus. For the rest of our life, we are learning how to think like the Son of God, to think like the Savior. And so we talked about our hearts. Our hearts are like a river. What comes out of our life, it flows from our heart. What comes out of your life is what people experience. And so we talked about keeping our hearts right. If our hearts get poisoned, we're going to poison people. We're going to break things if we, if we hold on to grudges and offenses and bitterness, unforgiveness. And we talked about that. And, and Jesus says in John 7 that uh, out of our heart flows living water. And that water is the Spirit of God. 
And the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he wants to come out. He wants to get out of you. He wants to be like a river that flows out of your life. And so first we focused on our heart, but if the river just flows out and there's no river banks, you're just like a swamp. And so we talked about developing the river banks of your heart, of your mind. If your heart is like a river, your mind is like the banks of the river. And it's learning to think like God, the way Jesus thinks. And as we do that, the, the banks of our river get wider and wider. We can release more of God's kingdom. The, the limit is never on God. You have an unlimited potential inside of you. There is, we never get to the end of God. We never will get to the end of God, even in eternity. For a billion years from now, we'll still just be getting a taste of how amazing God is. The problem is never the source. The problem is, are we in agreement enough to let all that he has and wants to give through us? Are we ready for it? Do we have the mind of Christ? And so we talked about that we're in a battle and that our biggest battle that we face is in our mind. We're with ourselves 24-7. We can't get away from ourselves. And the enemy brings these thoughts and these lies and these perspectives on life that are false, that are not in alignment and agreement with the Word of God. And so we want to train our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That's a command. Every day we should have this thought, how is my transformation coming along? How is this renewal of my mind coming along in my life? Is it going forward? Is it going backwards? We want our mind to come into alignment with God. The best way to do that is not to be looking for lies and all the false ways of thinking. The best way to do that is to look at the truth, the Word of God. This is a treasure. It's like buried treasure. This is more valuable than gold. This is more valuable than any bank account, any investment. Anything that you could ever acquire on earth is the Word of God, the truth. It's not the absence of lies that sets you free. It's the truth that sets you free. It's knowing what God says. It's knowing His heart for you. And so today, what I want to talk about is two game-changing mindsets. I'm going a little deeper today. You know, if you worked at a bank, the way they train bank tellers to identify counterfeit money is they don't give them counterfeit money. They give them the real money. They show them, okay, this is what the paper looks like. This is what it feels like. This is how you can see through it. This is where the lines are. This is, the seri this is where the serial numbers. And within not a long period of time, a bank teller knows what real money is so that anytime fake money comes in, they identify it. We want to be so filled with the right mindset, with the right way of thinking, that whenever a lie comes in, we identify it. We know it's false. We know it's not from God. And so two mindsets that I want to talk about, there's many mindsets that we need, but two that I want to talk about is the mindset that God is good. God is good. Someone say amen. God is good, and I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. These are the two most common areas where we as believers get attacked by the enemy, is 
Who is God? That's the biggest question you'll ever answer. Every human being will have to answer that question. Whether you know Jesus today or not, you will have to answer the question, who is God? Who is God? Who is God to you? Is he just this being up here or is he a personal God? Is he a savior? Did he come to change your life? Who is God? The enemy will do, stop at nothing to defame the name above all names. But he's not going to win. God is good. And the other area is, who am I? The enemy will come to attack you in your identity. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. The first mindset, game-changing mindset, God is good. What does that mean, God is good? We use that word all the time, good, right? Like, we're back home in New Mexico from Northern California. We're getting Mexican food, like real Mexican food. Like, mmm, that was good, salsa. That was good. Tostadas, like, come on, right? We, don't take it for granted, guys. It's real. <laughs> you come up and visit me, you're not going to get good salsa. <laughs> you're going to get like some vegetable juice and some weird, weird healthy stuff. We use that word good very loosely, and yet God wants to redefine what good looks like. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, there is no one good except God. No one good. There's nothing good except God. And yet God, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everything good comes from God. Nothing good comes from the enemy. Nothing good even comes from People without God, everything, anything good has its source in God. Anything you see that is good is rooted in the nature and character of God. It's from Him. Romans 8.28 says that, that God, He will use everything, the good and the bad, for His purpose. He will redeem everything to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. There is not one thing that God can't use for his goodness. I love how one pastor summarized that verse. He said, he wastes nothing. He's getting you ready. He wastes nothing. He's getting you ready. Every sad story, every broken thing, every loss, God doesn't waste it. He uses it for his purposes, and he's getting you ready. No matter where you are in life, no matter what bad thing has happened, no matter what hard circumstance you may be in, he wastes nothing. He's getting you ready. He will use everything for his good. God is so good. He can't act. He can't violate his own nature. There is no darkness in God. There is no shred. There is no small shadow of darkness in him. There's no evil in God. There's not one thing wicked in the heart of God. There is no shred of, of violence or rage or punishment in God. It, it's not there. There's no fear in God. God is so good. He always acts in the best interest of himself and his creation. It, his desire is that everyone encounters his goodness because it's what's best for them. His goodness is perfect. The enemy would love to tell people that God is complicit with evil. You know, people will say, well, if God is so good, why are there wars? 
And why are there, there children in sex trafficking? And why are babies being aborted? And why is there divorce? And why is there domestic violence? And all of these things, why is there addiction? If God is so good, why is it there? Why are those there? And the enemy would want us to believe that God is the source of those things. But the enemy is the source of those things. Sin is the source of those things. Those things are born out of the sinful nature of men, not God. God has done everything that He can to show the world that He is good. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. He stopped short of nothing, including dying on a cross, to show you how good He is. There is, no, there is nothing that he wouldn't do to demonstrate his love for you. These mindsets that I'm talking about, I'm not just trying to give you a fact. Oh, that was a good message. Oh, go file this in my filing cabinet. God is good. No, I am talking about a belief system. I'm talking about a way of living I'm talking about something that you are so convinced of that you don't even, you become so habitually convinced that God is good that you often don't even have to think that God is good. It's just the way you live. It's the way you perceive life. Last week, I told you that some of you would, would come to this service and receive a miracle, and some of you would come to the service and not receive a miracle. And it's not because God didn't want to give you a miracle or not. It's because some of you believe God can give a miracle, and some of you don't believe God can give a miracle, and so you won't ask God for a miracle, and you won't get a miracle. I want you to be so convinced that God is good that everywhere you go, you see God's goodness. Everywhere you go, you actually initiate the goodness of God. It's not just something you say, it's someone you are. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The goodness of God wants to flow out of your life. And Jesus is our example. Jesus came to represent the Father. Jesus came to give salvation. He came to do many things. He came to expose the work of the enemy. He came uh, to heal people. He came to announce that the kingdom of what was at hand. He, he did all these things, but the way, the primary way he did it was by revealing the Father. He came to represent God on the earth. Jesus gives us the representation of who God really is. If you want to know who God is, go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read about Jesus. Read what Jesus did, what Jesus said, what Jesus thought, and you will know who God is. And you will know what God thinks and, what, and how he acts on the earth. I'll read a few verses. John 5, 19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. Notice that Jesus, fully God, fully man. We don't understand how that worked, how he was fully God and fully man. But somehow... His divine privileges, he set something aside where he was so dependent on the Father that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He saw it. This next verse will show on the screen, John 12. It says, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. So if you see Jesus, you see the Father. 
I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. So just notice, there is a time of judgment. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So everywhere He went, Jesus looked and He heard. He saw and He listened what God the Father was saying. What does that mean for us as we go through life? Are you going through life with the mindset that God is good? Here's some things that Jesus wasn't doing or was doing. Jesus wasn't devil-focused. He wasn't going around noticing all the bad things the devil was doing. He was going around looking at all the things the Father was doing. You don't need a PhD to look at the world and notice all the things the devil's doing. There's a lot going on. But you do need a relationship with the King of Kings to know what the Father's doing. We can talk all day long about what's happening in politics and what's happening in the school system and what's happening. And it's, it's, it's good to know what's happening. I'm not minimizing that. But the bigger conversation is what is God doing? What is God doing in Santa Fe? What is God doing in our city? What is God doing in our nation? What is God doing at NMSU? What is God doing at Onyate High School? What is the Father doing? The way you know is by talking to Him. John talks all about abiding. If you abide in me, I abide in you. There's a relationship. There's a connection. We don't just know information. We know the one who gave us the Word of God. Our goal is not to just get smarter. Our goal is to know the heart of God, to know what he's saying and doing on the earth. Jesus wasn't devil-focused. Jesus wasn't blessing storms. He was calming storms. I hear believers, they'll, when a hurricane hits, they'll say, well, God must be judging that state, or God must be trying to fix somebody. Hey, God, is, God can judge. I mean, he's God and I'm not. But I don't see Jesus blessing storms. I see Jesus calming storms. When you read the scripture, when you see your neighbor's life falling apart, do you say, well, they had it coming. They, that, that guy's been going to the bar every other day and they've been wasting their money. It's easy to see the storm. What is the father doing in your neighbor's life? How do you speak peace to that storm? How do you bring hope to that neighbor who needs Jesus? It's easy to see how your family may be falling apart, how your spouse is causing all kinds of chaos, and, and there may be steps you need to take, but what is the Father doing? What is God saying about your spouse? What is God saying about your children? What is He saying about that coworker who's betrayed you? What does the Father say? Jesus was speaking peace to storms in the natural and just in daily living. Peace, peace. Jesus never endorsed sickness. He healed people. 
He never saw someone who died and just said, well, God works in mysterious ways. Every person that came to him, he healed them. Every dead person that someone asked him to raise, he raised. Jesus is our example. We're Jesus' disciples. We're not Elijah's disciples. We're not John the Baptist's disciples. We're Jesus' disciples. It's up to God how he decides to answer our prayers, but it's up to us to partner with the example that he gave us. Jesus didn't say pray for the sick. Jesus said heal the sick. If you see someone sick, you don't have to ask God if you should pray for them. Pray for them. Ask them. Ask the Lord. Heal them. You said. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. The perfect representation of the Father. If you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. Remember the story of Peter, when he's first meeting Jesus, and Jesus is in his boat, he's preaching a sermon, and then after he's done, he says, hey, Peter, launch out, go try to go catch some fish. And Peter says, hey, we were fishing all night. We caught nothing, but because you said, I'll go. So Peter goes, and he gets this huge quantity of fish. It's breaking his boat. He calls for James and John, hey, guys, we need your boat. They bring their boat. Their boat starts sinking because they have so many fish. When they get back to shore, what does Peter do? He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. What was that moment? That was a father-son moment. Father was trying to show his son, his child, Peter, I have so many good things for you. I have so much I want to give you that you can't even contain. Are you ready? This is a father-son moment. Could you imagine the goodness of God coming through your life in such a way that people, their heart is revealed. Peter's heart was revealed. I am a sinner. I am standing in such goodness that I can't even comprehend this. This is beyond anything I've ever seen or experienced in my life. You remember the woman who was caught in adultery? She was literally caught in adultery. They throw her at Jesus' feet and they say, the law says she should be stoned. What say you? And Jesus begins drawing in the sand and, and he says, you know, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, all the religious, all the good people, all the religious people start to leave. And it's just her and Jesus and Jesus says, where are your accusers? Do they condemn you? She says, they're, they're gone. It's a father-daughter moment. Father-daughter, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. What does the world need? They need fathers and mothers who love them the way Jesus loved people, the way he set them free was a father-daughter moment. The Lord is here today and he wants to encounter you in maybe a way you've never been encountered. Some of you have never been loved by a perfect father. And your, per your perception, your background of what a dad is or a mom is very broken. Jesus represented the father perfectly. What happens when we don't have this belief system? 
that God is good. God is good. God is good. I put it in your notes. When we begin to doubt God's goodness, the provision I need will be limited to my goodness and not his. The two, mo- the two areas where I see God's goodness questioned the most is either, number one, when there's pain and loss and disappointment and heartache, and the other one is when we're supposed to get out of our comfort zone and risk. And it goes like this. When something bad happens, hey, I lost my job. Hey, I'm filing bankruptcy. Hey, my spouse just left me. Hey, I just got a devastating diagnosis. In those moments, it's normal and it's good to ask God, God, what's happening? God, where are you? God, I'm scared. God, I don't understand. That's normal. But then there's another kind of thinking that says, see, I knew God wouldn't come through. I knew I couldn't trust him. Just when I started to trust him, he pulled the rug out from under me. And he's, I, I can't trust him. I can't rely on God. I am going to leave him over here. And while this little chatter's going here, your problem and the, the thing is right here. You need God right here, but all you've got is your wisdom, your finances, your problem-solving skills, and not God. We want our mindset to be that God is good, that when tragedy and trial hit, God is right there with us. We're bringing God the very best that he has to bear with whatever we're facing. I remember when my son Luke was born and he was born, had a brain hemorrhage, wasn't breathing. And we didn't know for the first 10 minutes, is he even alive? They just took him out of the room. We didn't know if he was alive. After that, we found out, yes, he's alive. And then we didn't know, is he going to have serious disabilities? And there was all these questions like, Lord, please heal my son, please. Please, God, intervene. But I remember, and just looking back on that, I never, I never doubted God's goodness. And I'm so grateful for my parents. And if you're here and you have kids, there's nothing like parents putting in their children a mindset that God is good. Even when tragedy hits, God is good. Tragedy hit my family that day, but God was good. God was good. I never doubted his goodness. I went through that storm. And Luke is doing great today. God is good. Sometimes the story doesn't go the way we want, the way we thought. God is good. He's good. He doesn't promise that we'll not have any problems. He, he says there will be tribulation in this world, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Amen. I've overcome the world. The other area I see where God, uh, where we can doubt God is when he's asking us to step out of our boat, when he wants us to risk. You know what you really believe when God wants you to get out of your comfort zone. Most, probably 90% of you in here would all agree with me. God is good. And yet, you know that you really have that belief system by the way you're willing to risk for God. When he brings you out of your comfort zone. We like to say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's when you go beyond what your ability is and you have to depend on God. That's when you start to wonder, is God really good? Is he really going to provide? Does he really give me the power and the strength that I need? Do I really have authority over the demonic realm? I remember when Sarah and I left last year to, to California, we're leaving our comfort zone. We're leaving our job. We're leaving our family. We're leaving you all. 
We're leaving favor. I get to preach here. I don't get to preach there. I mean, we're just leaving all these things. And I never doubted God's goodness, although I wondered, God, I'm stepping out of the boat. Are you going to catch me? How's this going to work? What are you going to do? And it becomes this grand adventure of how God begins to show himself in amazing ways. And one of the things that I love that's happening for us in Reading is that we're meeting people from all over the world. And Pastor Dale's vision is that we will have 600 missionaries and missions that we will support, that we will help people reach their nation for God. And I know that us being there, we're meeting people that one day you all will help support them as they reach their nation for God. God always shows up when we risk. God always does more than we can ask or think. But you know if you really believe or how much of the goodness of God you believe by how much you're willing to risk for him. How much are you willing to risk for God today? Risk hard conversations. Risk sharing your faith. Risk giving beyond what you think you can give. God is good. God is good. God is on the move. He's doing good things. Amen? The other thing I want to share quickly is God is good, and I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am, not who my past says I am, not who my family says I am, not what my feelings say I am. How many know we have a real identity crisis going on in our land? The enemy is trying to convince people that they can be whoever they want to be and not who God says they are. If he can convince you that you are not who he says you are, then he can destroy the purpose that God created for you to accomplish. The Bible says that before you were born, God created good works for you. That means there is a design, there's a plan that God has for your life that he thought of before he even created the world. And if the enemy can convince you that you are not who God says you are, then he can thwart or interfere with God's purposes. <laughs> who are you? Who does the Bible say you are? Second Corinthians says, therefore you're a new creation. Put it in there. If anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. That means a prototype. That means someone like you has never existed on earth because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are a unique expression of the character and nature of God. There's only one of you who's ever lived, and you and with the Holy Spirit are a prototype of, God, of, of God's creation. There is a purpose for you that's bigger than you could believe. And it says that we are ambassadors. Paul goes on to say, we are ambassadors. We are representatives. We are co-laborers. God doesn't just, God doesn't really love the zap theory like, boom, there you go. The world is going to be great. It's, I'm just going to set everything up for you. No, God wants us to co-labor with him. The Bible says that you're a son, you're a daughter. The Bible says you're forgiven. The, the Bible says you're loved, that you're an heir of the king that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you're chosen. The Bible says you're adopted. The Bible says you're set free from your past, that the things that were before you were saved, they no longer define you. The Bible says there is nothing that can come against you 
that has more authority than you have in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is who you are. Do you know who you are? If you don't know who you are, you'll believe a lie. You'll settle for something way less than who you are. You'll buy all this junk that's being sold on the news and in schools and everywhere else. You are who God says you are. Two of the mindsets that come in when we don't know who we are is victim and disqualified. How many know there's a difference between being a victim and living as a victim for your whole life? You can be a victim of something bad, something negative, something very painful. But you don't have to be, you don't have to stay there. There's a generation of victims being raised, but that's not God's plan. As a believer, you're not a victim. The Bible says Jesus chose you. Jesus was the most powerful person. When I say powerful, I don't mean, just mean supernatural. I don't mean like he holds the world in it. I just mean he was so free in his mind, in his heart, that he chose you. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life. Jesus chose. There are no victims, and I'm talking about in your mind, in the kingdom. There, the, as a Christian, you're not a victim. There's people who pretend to be a victim, but you're not a victim. You are free. You're free from your past. You're free from those things that have happened to you. Now, that might be a process, and that might be hard to know what that means, but that's God's plan for you. He doesn't want you to stay there. Some people, someone said, pain is inevitable, but misery is, in, <laughs> is a choice. Pain is inevitable, but misery is a choice. Some of you are in misery. You can come out of that today. You may be in a painful situation, but you don't have to stay in misery. God can lift you up. He can take you out of the pit. He can take you out of that grave. And I reference the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And if you remember the story, Israel is surrounded by this army of Midianites, somewhere around 130,000 soldiers. And Gideon is this guy, and he's scared. Now, if you were surrounded by an army of 130,000, you'd probably be scared too. I would. And so he's hiding out, and this angel shows up, and he says, Mighty man of valor, mighty man of God. I want you to lead the army of Israel against the Midianites. The first thing God wants to do is affirm your identity. He wants you to know who he is. He says, Gideon, you're a mighty man. And what does Gideon do? He plays the two cards. Victim, I put it in your notes. But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Look at that. He's a double victim. He's a victim of God. God handed us over. We have no power, which was false. They disobeyed God. God would have never let Midian come in the first place had they not disobeyed the Lord. He was not a victim of God. And he's not a victim of Midian because God said, hey, you're going to go take him. So once he realized, oh, the victim card's not working, now I'm going to go to the disqualified card. So then he goes to, be, uh, how am I to save Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. How many have ever done that? Well, if, if people really knew my past, they would never want to hear my testimony. 
I, I didn't go to school. I don't have the same ability to communicate the way you do, Pastor. God can't use me to, to speak the Word of God. Or I don't know how to pray. I've never been trained to pray. I can't pray for people to be healed. They're disqualified. Or if people knew who my family was, they would never let me set foot in the building. And it just, it's just disqualified. Excuses. I remember one of the biggest disqualification lies that I believed was that I'm not good enough. And I bet every person in here, if you were honest, you would admit that you've had that thought, that I'm not good enough. I think it's one of the biggest lies the enemy tells everyone. You're not good enough. And I remember that this lie was so ingrained in my thinking that it affected every relationship, but it affected the ones closest to me the most. It affected my wife. Because every time I would mess up, even if I didn't sin, even if it was just I didn't love her the way that she felt loved, and she would give me feedback like, hey, I'm not feeling loved. I would just internalize that. And I, I would just be so sad. And guess what happened? Because I believed I wasn't good enough, I became a passive person. I stopped being intentional about loving her because I was afraid of messing up and proving my belief system that I wasn't good enough. You see how your beliefs affect how you live? And so what happened? This distance started to exist between my wife and I. Instead of being connected, we were disconnected because I was believing a lie that I wasn't good enough. And I went to the Love After Marriage workshop, and if you're here and you're married and your married marriage needs an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you've got to go to that. That workshop changed our life. And the Holy Spirit revealed that lie to me, and He spoke to me and He said, Jason, I love you the way you love your son, Paul. I wouldn't trade you for anyone. The Holy Spirit spoke personally and deeply to me, and the power of that lie was broken off my life. That lie no longer influences our connection. I am free from that lie. And there are lies and belief systems about your identity that you're not good enough and that you're unlovable and that you're too far gone and God wants to break the power of those lies. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you into your true identity. You are a powerful person. What does that mean? It doesn't mean domineering. It doesn't mean controlling. It doesn't mean scary. It means you are fully alive. You are not a spectator to life. You are not just waiting to see what happens to you. You are happening to life. You are co-laboring with God. God is speaking to you through His Word and through your prayer, and you are creating something on the earth with God. You're creating healthy families. You're creating healthy businesses and godly businesses. You're creating systems of education that honor God, that bring dignity to people. You're bringing a governance. Whatever sphere you're in, you're co-laboring with God. You're a powerful person. There's nothing anyone can do to you that they control you. You are free from the inside out. You are set free. You can walk out 
of misery. You can walk out of, of bondage because you're a free person. You're a powerful person. I'm going to invite my lovely bride to just share a testimony. This is Sarah, and she is going to share with you how she was walking out, being a powerful person through pain. Hi, church. Um, can you hear me? Hi. <laughs> we have so enjoyed being here for this last month with you. We're going to be really sad to go. <laughs> so we just thank you. And um, I just want to say that this is one of our favorite topics of all time, Jay and I. Like, we, we love, love freedom because that is what Jesus came to set us free. And so this is the ministry of the church. Yeah. is the freedom. And um, so what I wanted to talk to you about is kind of the areas that it's, hard, it's kind of hard to feel free. Um, and that is like deep soul wounds and trauma and like just devastating, crushing events that had happened that there's just nothing left but a deep, dark hole. And... Um, so um, when I was a little girl, I, I developed this process of what I would do with all of my hurt and all of my pain, all of my anger, all my disappointment. I would stuff it down and I would pretend everything was fine and I would just keep going. And... Um, and I was just a, a really quiet little girl, and I tried really, really, really hard to just be good all the time. And um, so as, you know, life kept going, that is, was my go-to. I would just stuff, stuff and go, stuff and go. And um, as many of you know, um, that may be your go-to with your, or had been your go-to with your negative emotions. I'll call them negative emotions, but they're really just emotions. Um, it started coming out as crippling anxiety for me because there's only so long you can do that before it really wrecks you. And um, so I think it was like about a 12-year process where I was like really going after healing. And I was really trying to partner with the Lord. And some days were awesome and some days weren't. Some years were just not really awesome at all. But we just really um, continued on this journey. And we went to Reading. And I'll note that because um, when Jay and I moved our family out there, we just told the Lord, we don't know what you want to do in our lives, but we are holding nothing um, off the table. It's all on the table. Whatever you want to do, you have our full cooperation, and our answer is yes. And um, after a semester, it was like around January of this year, um, all hell started breaking loose inside of me. And I started having nights where I literally could not sleep because I was writhing 
in crazy anxiety. And I have been medicated, so um, it was just something that I could not control. And I knew that this was my time, that this was one of those moments that I could choose to be different because how I would deal with when I would have a tailspin is that, and when I mean a tailspin, I was having triggers every day. And these triggers would be memories that would come up and um, memories I didn't even know I had, hurts. And um, like it was just my stomach felt sicker and sicker every single day and I just had like this bubble. Some of you know what I'm talking about and it would just bubble up and it was like it could choke me. And I, um, it was just really hard to do life. It was really hard for me to connect with my children and Jay, and I, um, and my go-to was just hide, hide until it would stop, and so just disconnect with everyone and just hide in my bed, and just until I could, you know, get a grip, and I could, you know, get going. But I did not want to do that. I just said, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. And Jay was like. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose you to this because it was really hard. And so he was always telling me, don't, don't, don't go. Don't do that. And um, so I just told the Lord, okay, you're going to have to help me because I don't know how to do it different. I don't know how. And um, so he, um, so um, I am a very empathetic person. I, um, I love people, and I love and I feel people's emotions. And I would never ever feel that that kind of empathy toward myself. Would never. I could never cry for myself. I could never grieve for the things that were really hard in my life. I would never. I would just turn it and give it away. So when all these emotions would come up, the Lord showed me that I had this belief system that said, I am not as important as others, and that I'm here to help others. I'm here to shoulder your pain, because I, and I can't, I can't release it for me. And um, so... I'm repenting of that. Like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm carrying that. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know how to do that. And, um, you know, I would try in my own strength. I would be like, Ugh, you know, I, and I would always end at, well, we're not, all, we're nobody's perfect. Like, hello, I've hurt people. People have hurt me. This is how it works. And I, <laughs> that's where I would end. And then I was like, no. I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it different. So, Lord, help me. Help me get through this. One night I had this dream, and in this dream, I realized that what was taken from me was my very worth. Was my worth. And I wanted to fight for my worth because I saw me as a little girl in my dream. I saw this perfect, happy little girl that was just so innocent and shining with God. And I was like looking at her in my dream and I was like, she's perfect. And then I woke up screaming 
and I, I was just violently crying because I realized I was finally able to see the cost, the cost that it took me to carry that hurt through my whole life. And then I realized that Jesus was in that. He was in that pain the whole time. And as I'm physically weeping, I can't speak for a whole day. And it was very physically, physically painful every which way. And um, get help. <laughs> That's all I can say. Someone, if you need help to go through something, you do. You just need help to go through something like that. God is with us. God is with us, and he's put us in community, too. Yeah. And so as I am just weeping, I see Jesus on his most traumatic day. He is beaten unrecognizably. He is nailed to a tree, and he is not a victim and in that moment, Jesus looks out. It was probably, he'd never probably been in, that was probably the most pain that he was suffering. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And I saw myself, if my Jesus can do that in his trauma, then I can. And God empowers forgiveness when we join with him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. And when God empowers us, he takes trauma off of you and he takes all of that. And, it's, and then um, I just felt like this relief and release of like that I could, God knew the cost he knew the cost, and he paid it gladly. And we can too. We can absorb the cost. Even if it was great, even if it was ugly and horrible, we have, we have an inheritance of freedom. We have an inheritance of freedom, and God will empower our freedom. And so I would just know that God, I would just tell you that God is not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of your big time emotions that are like toxic level. He is not afraid of them. And he is there in it. And he's there in it. And so I just share this with you because this is the, the process the Lord took me through. And, and many of you might have this process going on in your own life. And I will just say, just be empowered be empowered, church, through the forgiveness of Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. Some of you today, you just, you want freedom with all your heart. You've been away from the Lord. You, you don't know God. You've never given your life to God. Freedom starts with Jesus. Freedom starts with forgiveness. The Lord forgiving you. Maybe you're here and you've left the faith and you're like, I need to come back. I need Jesus. If you're here today and that's you, would you just raise your hand? Anyone that just say, I need Jesus. I don't have him in my life. I need him. I see your hands, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Would everyone just bow your heads with me? Let's just pray together. You can just say this out loud. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, need you. I need you. 
I need freedom from my sin, from my way of living, from my bondage. I invite you to be my leader and my Lord. I receive your forgiveness today. I receive my new identity today as a child of God. I receive my new future today. I receive my hope today. I receive a new mind today. A new way of thinking. In Jesus' name. Some of you just want to respond to what Sarah said. God is so good that He can heal you from 40 years of trauma, 60 years of trauma, 80 years. I don't care how old you are. God is so good that there is nothing that should separate you and can separate you from His love. God wants to deliver you from every mindset, from every way of thinking that would separate you from the love of God. God wants to deliver some of you today. If there's lies you're believing, hand them to Him. Lord, I just repent of that lie that I'm not good enough. I repent of that lie that I'm too far gone. I repent for believing that I'll never be free from this addiction. I break agreement with these lies in Jesus' name. These mindsets and belief systems will no longer have power over my life in Jesus' name. If you're here and you're just like, I need to hand the Lord this pain. I need to hand him this mountain that I don't know what to do with. Sarah's just going to lead us in a prayer. If that's you, just hold out your hands. Just hand it to the Lord. Release it to him as Sarah prays. Dear precious Father, Lord, we just lean on your love right now. And I just thank you for this precious church, this part of your body that you love with all your heart, that you gave your life for. We're releasing our past. We're releasing these memories to you, God, that you will heal and restore and deliver your people from their past, that those things would no longer define their life. In the name of Jesus, this will be a free people. This will be the most free people in the city of Las Cruces. We release the freedom of God over your life. And now, Lord, we just pray for your healing, just your sweet healing touch. All the places that are now going to be empty of pain, that you would fill them with your presence. You would fill them with peace, your comfort your goodness, the kindness of God filling your life right now, the hope of Christ filling your soul, your spirit, and your body. In Jesus' name, we give you glory, God. Lord, bless these beautiful people as they go. May they believe with a new mind that you are good and that they are powerful this week. In Jesus' name. God bless you all. Our prayer teams are going to be here. Please come up for more prayer. We love you. We will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that God's Word has inspired you today in a way that will boost your faith greatly. We want to encourage you to visit our website at hftw.church and follow us on our social media. May God bless you richly.